Okay, hello and welcome to the first episode, the inaugural episode of Movies with Issues. The exciting, uh, action-packed first issue. That's right, the all-new, all-different. The mint condition number one. That's right. <laughs> Get it graded while it's hot. Um, yes, this is a this is kind of a spinoff from our our uh, the the mother show, the Comic Book Pit podcast. Uh, my name is Dan, and with me in the uh, virtual studio tonight is my partner. Hi, I'm Jeremiah. It's uh, good to see you digitally, Dan. Yes, it's been far too long. It, it has been. I uh, I actually was kind of going through. Uh, actually, it was because I was putting together my taxes, and I was so used to claiming stuff for whenever we were doing shows together. And I realized that the last trivia or anything of that nature was—I can't remember if we got to do a cosplay karaoke at the very beginning of 2020. But other than that, trivia was, I think, literally December 29th of 2019. Um, I'm going to say. I believe there was some trivia event exactly a year ago, maybe this week or this month, because only the only reason I know that is because it came up in my Facebook memories that I I I posted something about going down to the Hard Rock because I had like I took a picture of my book bag, right, the, right, yeah, and the uh, Three Rivers Comic Con sign that I always brought with me, and. That was that came up in my Facebook memories this week, and I think I hashtagged it like some sort of like Hard Rock Cafe trivia night, something like that. So, so for it's the, been at least a year. For those uh, that might not understand, like us trying to uh, jog our own memory of exactly <laughs> what's going on, uh, I actually ran. Um, well, it was a couple of different trivia shows that I hosted and set together and uh, ran game show style with mini games and a bunch of nonsense in between. We also did a couple of different events together mm-hmm. with uh, cosplay karaoke, which I would host. Uh, that was for the, uh, the uh, heroes fund, the artists here. I, I always messed up the title, even when I was oh, reading it from the, the paper. Uh, <laughs> it, would, it was the, yeah, it was for the, the heroes initiative heroes the, initiative hero initiative. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Great cause. But, yeah, uh, that was always those are always a blast. You never quite understood or knew what was going to come out of it, but they're always. I might, that is true. I might be those a little so lower. Nice. <laughs> I might be a little lower energy compared to that, just because, like, you know, I've been indoors for a year and <laughs> and I just got done spending six hours uh, watching the title movie that that we're going to be talking about. So yeah, we're all basically mole people now. Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean it's for you know for and I feel like we're maybe cut from a little of the same cloth, um, but I'm a I'm definitely a little bit of an introvert. I mean if if you're a comic book geek, you're you, you're almost assuredly somewhat of an introvert. So the past year has been equally, I mean obviously awful and frightening, but in a way not too bad. <laughs> Uh, just like the film. Uh, but <laughs> no, uh, even for me, um, out, outside of, uh, the, the game shows and stuff, uh, I, I would do a lot of stand up, a lot of improv. And I feel like that those muscles are just atrophying. Mm-hmm. As we go, 
uh, it's it's a very 50-50 split between the like God on stage and blah, everyone look at me. Hey, here's mm-hmm. the next person. And then immediately, as soon as it was over, be like, I'm going to go home. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. I'm going <laughs> to curl up in bed and read Lumberjanes and just don't even text me. You're not going to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so just, a, I guess, a, a quick background on what this what this show is, why you're hopefully listening to us is we, um, I believe it, it, this all stemmed from some random Facebook conversation <laughs> and you mentioned a specific comic book movie. You referenced a specific comic book movie, which I won't, which I won't, uh, mention yet, but of course. And it, I said, I, I, I said that surprised audibly, but if you're reading the right. title, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. You, you, I'm sure. Yeah. If you're, if you have half a brain, you know what we're talking about. Um, and I, I, I commented and I said, I feel like I would like to talk to talk to you about that. <laughs> well, the question, uh, the post in question actually was, cause I remember it a lot because it's just an absurd thing. It was entitled what, three conversations are you able to just dive into at the drop of a hat? That's it. And I had mentioned, I can't remember what the first one was. I remember number two was UFOs in the Bible. And, (laughs) and then the third one was, uh, well, it was, should should I just say the title or should we? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Appropriately. The third option was Spider-Man three and how I will defend it until I die knowing full well that it's garbage. I, (laughs) I, this, this isn't to, uh, to have me come in and be like, you know, it's a masterpiece. It's good. I know it's bad. It just brings me happiness. Sure. Sure. It's Mac and cheese. It's not going to give me any nutrition, but God is it tasty. It's that, that's a great way to put it. It, it, it's all sizzle and no steak. <laughs> uh, about three hundred million dollars worth of sizzle, and and, and even the sizzle is somewhat questionable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so so that's what this show going forward is going to be. It's going to be us talking about movies based on comic books that, well, let's just say fail to deliver. <laughs> and even if it fails to deliver, uh in a way that it almost kind of retroactively succeeds. Like if it's mm-hmm. the, the thing that we were talking about earlier that I thought was interesting too, is things that are technically really terrible adaptations of the source material and are better off for it. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is not the case here, but <laughs> no, no, uh, no, I guess. So, um, so I guess I wanted to ask first of all, just to kind of just kind of slowly ease our ease us into the tepid waters that is Spider-Man three. <laughs> um, what, what? Okay, so this came out in two thousand seven. I know that I'm I'm a few years older than you. So, what? How how old was how old were you when you saw this, and what was your experience? And you know, I, and I. Uh, presuming that you had already seen the first two. Oh yeah. Up for this? Okay. Uh, first two in theaters. I remember my science teacher after school, uh, before I, I walked home, but before I left the high school, he was like, Hey, wait, before you go, come here. And pulling up like this grainy 480 P 
uh, copy of the the first teaser trailer to Spider Man Two, and both of us like freaking out, <laughs> uh, where it's like, oh my god, because this is before uh, the internet would literally tell you everything. So I didn't know what was going on until the tentacle first, the first tentacle like hit the ground and I yeah. through the roof. Right. Uh, when this came out, I was seventeen. So okay. So it was, I'm eleventh uh, grade for me. Okay, so I'm then I'm probably about see. Okay, so I, so I I was let's see in my I might have been thirty. So I guess I'm third. I was born in seventy three. When were you born? Nineteen ninety. So seventeen, I guess. Okay. Mathematically. Okay. So, okay, yeah, so I was you know, okay. significantly older, um, but I was equally, I was excited. Um, I mean, oh. We all knew that Venom was coming. Uh, I was 17 when this movie came out, so that means you would have been exactly, ha- like, twice my age. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah let's just Great. go ahead and make each of us feel bad about that for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my sciatica. <laughs> My youth. <laughs> where, where is it gone? Mm, yeah, <laughs> I think we can both we we can we can both uh, we can both feel that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I um, first two very excited. I mean, I I oh, still yeah. remember. Um, I forget what movie I f- I first saw it in, but I still remember the very first teaser trailer for the very first Spider Man. Where you didn't even see Spider-Man, but you saw. Do, do you remember this, or, or oh, did you yeah. see this? This is where uh, it was like we, the, the the bank robbery with the the, the, twin, the tower. twin towers, and that that came out. If I remember correctly, uh, that came out literally the week before 9/11 happened. Yeah, it was shortly before 9/11 because yeah. they had to pull the commercial. And um, like I said, I don't remember what movie I, that we saw that they air, that they showed this trailer or this teaser, but I was, I mean, you, you know, I, I just practically melted in my seat. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is finally happening. Not only is this happening, but it looks like it'll be good. It's got that Mm -hmm. cinema sheen on it. Everything looks like, like they paid attention to it. It's colorful. The webs are 3d. Like we're really Mm -hmm. paying attention when they, when, when, when when the camera pulls back on that helicopter stuck like a like a fly literally in be, on a web mm, in between the between the towers yeah the, 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 the towers that was and, and again you you didn't see spider-man anywhere mm-hmm. um it was just mind blowing so you know that's that's where we're coming from like we're coming from like you know the the first one was really good the second one of course i mean i i feel like the second one blew the first one away oh yeah so you know, and then le- and then the, they announced the third one, and I'm like, oh my god! Well, of course, it's got to be Venom. Yeah, and the I mean, the poster alone was enough to be like, oh, we're doing this. It's just him mm-hmm. in that black suit, leaning up against that light, but doing like this like uh, Fallout Boy emo kind of like, don't look at me, hand in front right. of like, <laughs> with the rain coming down. It's too. That was uh, I actually had a poster of that in my room. And uh, I had to beg somebody who worked at the movie theater because I was, um, I mean, I'm still obsessed with movies, but at that point I was going constantly and I got to know mm. the people that I got to 
have a couple posters I never got around to putting up, but the day I got that Spider-Man 3 poster, bam, right there up on the wall. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember, and I, I, I still remember the, the, the day that we went to see it in the theater. The, the, I remember everything, but I don't remember. And I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm glad that I have no actual recollection of my disappointment <laughs> when I left the theater. I, I, I must've blocked that out that like, you know, like a, like a, like a war memory or something like, you know, but I, I just, I, I know that, you know, I saw it and I was just crestfallen. I, uh, there's a girl that I was dating at the time who was a year ahead of me and she had gone to prom and then right with a couple of her friends, she, she lived like upstate, you know, the, the fake girl from, from Canada sort of thing. She's like, she, she's a model. No, look, high school. look at this photo I have on my Motorola Razor. I promise she's true. Uh, but no, she went with a couple of friends to prom as a group. And then afterwards, they all went and saw Spider-Man 3. And I wasn't able to see it yet. But I was I was always excited because my birthday uh, is in May. And so those movies were always coming out mm. around my birthday. So especially for me being a huge Spider-Man movie, well, Spider-Man comic fan, just Spider-Man in general, this is the best present ever. And she came back from, uh, she came back from the movie and I called her and was like, how was it? How was everything? And I had thought that something terrible had happened at the prom or there was like, I was like, what's wrong? What's like, she legitimately sounded like she had been through it. And oh, just man. was having the worst time. I was like, no, it was, you know, it was okay. And I was like, what happened at the prom? She was like, no, the prom was fine. It was, <laughs> that was okay. Uh, actually, my current girlfriend um, had a similar kind of situation where she, uh, her friend wanted to go to the movies with her. And she said, oh, I want to see Spider-Man 3. She goes, well, do I have to see uh, anything else? She goes, well, it's a superhero movie. So it's just going to be like, you'll, you'll probably be able to catch on pretty quick this is the most like dense continuity dense uh superhero movie that i can really think of what it's cartoonishly absurd how much it kind of relies on uh, how much you need to remember from the first couple of them yeah i'm i'm actually I'm, i'm very glad that we got that kind of extra long uh, f- opening. So, you know, it, it opens with this huge flashback uh, scene. Well, you know, li- like literal flashes of scenes from the first movie and the second movie. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. That happened. And that, and uh, so, yeah, I guess that was a good kind of primer to get. Pretty much get does everything, but having uh, Stan Lee's face pop up and go previously on Spider-Man. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, so, so well, I, I guess, so, so real quick, I'm, I'm, cause I'm going to, I don't know if you noticed this mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm only bringing it up cause I wondered if this happened in the credits or I'm sorry, in the opening credits with the flashback, I noticed in the credits at the end of the movie, Joe Mangin- Manginello, uh, Manganello, 
Manganello. Yeah. He was credited actually in the third movie as Flash Thompson. Yeah. Um, it's a so, blink if you miss it uh, sort of thing where he just shows up at the. I mean, obvious. First of all, uh, true believers and faithful listeners. Obviously, spoilers are bound. We're gonna absolutely right. go through this. <laughs> uh, I was curious about that too. Uh, he was he was Flash Thompson in the first Spider-Man movie, and um, he just shows up very briefly at the end during Harry's funeral. Oh, and of course, because we need to have this extended opening sequence. We we're just going to put in every name that we have. That's kind of like hanging around, which uh, if we're, if we're talking um, and discussing this from the top, speaking of that opening sequence, uh, the, the music theme, the music theme in this one is different than the other two because partway through it, it just suddenly shifts into uh well, the black suits theme that like ends up coming up throughout the rest of the movie, which I love, honestly. Um, okay. And yeah, I, I, I did not catch that. I'm uh, just massively. Well, then again, I'm, I'm the massive Spider-Man three fan, So of course I'm going to be like, Hey, check out this. <laughs> did you see that scratch above the door when you came in? Ta-da. Um, <laughs> no, partway through the movie, because the first two, it was Danny Elfman who did the music. In this one, it's actually Christopher Young. Christopher Young was somebody who uh, studied under Danny Elfman and did a a bunch of, like, okay stuff. Uh, he did the first Ghost Rider movie, uh, that music, and to a couple of different other things. Every once in a while, he'll show up and just kind of make something that's amazing and then disappear. Um, the black suit theme in this movie is like a, I think it's technically called a, a triplet or a tripletto, but um, it's the da 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 theme that pops up every time. That's like, haha! Now I'm <laughs> wearing darker colors. I'm gonna punch someone who doesn't deserve it. But uh, it's really interesting because that music kicks in right when during the opening credits, uh, whenever suddenly you have like the black goo that starts coming in and taking over the webs and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and all the flashbacks are now like, here's everything bad that's ever happened to Peter Parker. So strap in. Cause it's going to be a long one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, uh, I really, I don't know. I don't really feel like that the, as good as Danny Elfman is, I never really felt like that the Danny Elfman theme to these movies ever quite hit for me the same way that his Batman theme did the same way as even his, well, even his angly Hulk theme, honestly. But um, for some reason, uh, Christopher Young's black suit theme and Sandman theme, um, both just like are just really fun and interesting and bizarre out of nowhere choices for this. Hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I, I guess if if you know if someone hadn't had never seen the first two, at least the opening sequence gives you a rough idea of how Peter got to where he is now, and he even has this kind of uh, opening monologue, like, "Hey, I'm Peter Parker. You may know me as the you know the Amazing Spider-Man. The amazing, yeah, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man or whatever. It's me, the spectacular Peter Parker, the sensational Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, my friend's uh, my girlfriend's friend was still completely lost through this movie uh, the first time that they saw it. Apparently, 
<laughs> it's me, the 45-year-old-looking Peter Parker. <laughs> it is me, the young boy of, like, graduating at a ripe young age of 38. <laughs> it is me, teen heartthrob Peter Parker. I took off my glasses and shook my hair, and now I'm pretty. <laughs> So the first, the first thing, so, you know, we're, we're getting a peek into, you know, Peter's life. Everything is great. Um, always a bad news. <laughs> yeah. You know, immediately things are going to go downhill really quick, but at least for right now, you know, uh, he, he's, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's still working. He's got his school, you know, like his, his school, um, he's in college. It's going well. Um, everything is going well with, Mary Jane. Um, but I thought it was ridiculous. Uh, the, the, just the first thing that hit me, um, you know, he's, we, we, we see him, uh, in this class, uh, in, in it's college and, uh, Oh, and we're in, we're, we're introduced to, uh, Gwen Stacy. Yeah. The, uh, uh, Bly, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Bryce Dallas Howard. Bright. Yeah. yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard, who, um, who was the kind of at the time she was kind of like the, the it girl mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the mid aughts, uh, daughter of famed director, Ron Howard. And she actually um, uh, directed a couple of episodes of the Mandalorian herself. Some really good ones. Oh, that's too. Right. Yeah. I forgot about that. So she's following in her dad's footsteps. Oh yeah. Just hopefully not pretty his awesome. <laughs> yeah, That would be really awkward. Um, but there's, there's bullies in college yeah. spitballs. I'm like, what the hell is this? Really? <laughs> and, and and why why is Peter the the obvious magnet to these to these assholes? By Hollywood standards, um, he's not wearing glasses, so he should be immune. Uh, <laughs> if right. he's wearing glasses, that's like ah, that geek, get him. Uh, but like. Like he's just a normal looking guy. He's like what? Like why would you just ra- like arbitrarily pick on this dude? If this guy's forty seven and keeps telling us he's twenty. Get him. <laughs> he's the creepy guy that graduated but still comes back to to hang out. I think he's auditing this class. Get him. <laughs> I think he's that girl's dad, <laughs> and he keeps winking at her. Um, it's it's weird because uh, Gwen Stacy, of course. Bryce Dallas Howard plays Gwen Stacy in this. Um, it's interesting because, first of all, we're introducing her in the third movie, which uh, is a strange choice because uh, this is actually Peter's first girlfriend in the comics. But mm-hmm. it feels like in this movie, upon reflection, they completely switched the Gwen Stacy and MJ roles, uh, meaning that like, even from the very first movie, we have... Gwen, um, in the comics, Gwen lived close to Peter. They went to high school together. They had uh, their relationship. They even had the showdown with the goblin um, that happened at the end of the first movie, but didn't go too well for Gwen. But uh, And then, of course, it's later on, whenever he goes to college, that he runs into MJ, who's like, hey, I'm modeling. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm really positive and outbeat and, uh, like, outgoing but like i got some dark shit under me if you can get if you can crack that social vase yeah but yeah um it's interesting it's a it's a weird from the very i remember the first time they watched this movie that was the very first choice i was like huh i guess we're 
I guess we're doing that now. And then that was pretty much the theme that carried throughout the rest of the film. Yeah. And I, I have, I mean, and, and we can talk about this as we go on. I, I have, you know, definitely thoughts about the, the introduction and the, and, and what they did with the Gwen Stacy character um, and the, the Mary Jane character. But, um, Well, then we uh, then we, we we get a quick cut to uh, the introduction of uh, or reintroduction of uh, Harry, who is speaking of following in his in a father's footsteps. He is he uh, you know because we know from this the second movie that he found his dad's goblin right. stash. Which I yeah. have a couple of questions about that specifically. First of all, um, this uh, Harry's introduction is this hilarious Citizen Kane glare from the balcony, which uh, makes me happy every time Like the music shifts and he's just like staring soap opera daggers uh, from yeah. this well-lit booth. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I So Harry is in the audience for this show. Uh, as, as the movie goes on, I think it becomes very clear that Peter never told MJ a thing about like who the green goblin was, what that entire experience was. And I'm sure she may have asked him a couple of times, like who was, and I was like, I don't know, just some guy dressed in green. Good thing I got him. But um, I don't know if MJ invited Harry to the, uh, to the show or not, but timeline wise, which I, I, briefly talk to you about this as i was watching this movie i ended up keeping track of um of the timeline of how this all occurs uh the entirety of spider-man 3 as much that happens it takes place over six days i ended up paying attention to wardrobe and clocks and stuff because it's like the (laughs) thousandth time i've seen this movie okay and uh so harry's plans for this night must have been, I'm going to go do MJ's thing, and then I'm going to go home and huff some goblin gas and see what happens. But just in case it goes bad, I want to have like a good hurrah night on the town. Right. I want to I treat myself to some theater. I'm gonna treat myself to some theater, leave a really big bouquet just in case I bite it, and I'm gone. <laughs> oh, Peter's here. Better glare at him. Well, I guess the show's not going to be as fun with him there. So he, yeah. So he goes, he he goes home and he he suits up at some point and he gets his uh his atomic snowboard. Yeah, uh, and it's, uh, it's called a sky stick according to the behind the scenes stuff. A, a sky stick. A sky stick. Yeah, it's it's basically like this thing is one GoPro away from being like the coolest toy of 2012. Like it was four years ahead of its time. Uh, he also has this, like, the, he's wearing a snowboard mask while he's running around, which is, like, an odd choice. Like, he only really wears it for, like, a half a second at the very beginning of the movie. These like, got that. The, yeah, it, that. It, like, it, and it slides open, like, Iron Man style. Yeah, basically, which that could have just been a goblin mask. I mean, who cares? Like, that... You're only going to see it for 30 seconds. He's already got a bunch of goblin stuff in his dad's mirror closet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I don't know if I'm just, if I'm remembering this wrong or if I'm making this up in my, you know, in my head, 
I feel like when this movie came out and there were, of course, you know, uh, all the toys and promotion that came with it, I feel like he was being referred to sort of as new goblin. That was 100% what he was being called. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, they Even didn't though, want to do Hobgoblin, and technically, yeah, he's Green Goblin too. But yeah, it's New Goblin. Even though this is just like an X Games guy, if I had like a a snowboarder toy and just lifted it up off the ground, it was like, hey, look, it's flying. Uh, I did it. It's the <laughs> it's the New mm-hmm. Goblin. Yeah, you would think that uh, after the events of the second movie, where his he was apparently like ruined financially because of his dealings with Dr. Octopus. Right. He would have found his dad's, you know, secret stash and be like, Hey, I, I can, I'm going to reverse engineer all this stuff and make a, make a mint. Like make just a really cool, that would have been great if he had just gone back to the, the people that, uh, that his dad blew up in the first movie and was like, Hey, so remember when my dad killed all your bosses pretty sick, right? Well, here's the technology of how he did it. Uh, give me money. Thank you. Yeah. He'd be like, I assume this makes us even. <laughs> and even then he's a, even if he's ruined financially, he was still a socialite. He's well known in those New York circles. And so what he does is I, in the comics, uh, Peter would have like a quick change mask. He would just always have a mask in his back pocket in case something like this happens. But mm-hmm. we have an extended fight where both of them are maskless and uh, Harry makes it a point to take off his mask. And then they're shouting Peter and Harry at each other. And they're like completely out in the open and just throwing each other through people's apartments. Yeah. Which, uh, the, the the fight which is out in the open in the middle of New York City, a a sus- suspiciously uh, barren New York City. Oh, not a single person making a phone call. Nobody with a cell phone. No one on the streets. No one walking their dog. Nobody going, hey, look at that. Like nobody smoking pot on a roof. I mean, there's something. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, these guys are up like, like. A hundred feet in the air, swinging around, flying around, throwing bombs at each other, bricks and glass falling from the sky. And now, if even if you were to say, well, this is the New York of Spider-Man, this is the one where that kind of stuff's commonplace. Technically, mm. this th- this sort of thing had only happened like twice by this point, and with a period of like a couple of years in between it, like. Four or five years ago, there was one guy who was doing this, which yeah. I'm sure was on national news. And then, uh, and then two years ago, well, here's this. Two or three years ago, well, this dude with like arms on his back was like running around and doing stuff. That's still that's still fresh enough to not just be like, well, you know, I guess it's Marvel Universe. What can you do? Can I have a coffee? <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I guess you're right. Those were each movie could be considered like the, like the main villains where those were and the, and the, the main parts of destruction, you know, uh, yeah. Destruction would be considered isolated incidents. And in between like everything that Spider-Man has been doing has probably just been like two years of micromanaging muggle muggers and yeah. Like, and, and like save, like, you know, uh, saving grannies from getting run over. Yeah. Yeah. Like, doing like just, yeah, just just doing, just maintaining, <laughs> just just hoping that like, oh man, if I could just get one kid to run out into the street, oh good, all right, awesome. Now I feel like I left my house for a reason. 
um so that uh, let's see so yeah he um well actually before that though we get yeah the the you kind of mentioned like just the whole timing of everything and they they introduced the symbiote actually very early very much it's actually in the same night that all this happens uh right. this is part of like hours before well actually or, or, like afterwards uh the the timing of this actually like, hang on i i wrote this down because i was uh oh like, he was yeah he was in he and mj were like in a park watching right the sky like again we're not wearing a mask or anything we're just wearing our civvies uh lying on yeah. a web in central park <laughs> an empty central park <laughs> looking at stars in new york city like what kind of stars are you seeing stargazing? Yeah. Oh boy. And um, and, and the, arguably like one of the most populated cities uh, in the on on planet Earth. That's yeah. How many stars are you going to be seeing? Oh, only the one, and uh, and even that one's going to be ignored because it's a meteor apparently. Because you turned your head at the right second. Uh, the first twenty-seven minutes of uh, this this movie is two hours and nineteen minutes long. All right. Uh, oh, I knew. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the first, well, with I, I was following some uh, new stuff that was going on. It was also pausing, take notes. So it took me like almost six hours to watch this. It was a thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, the first about twenty-seven minutes of this movie all take place in the period of the same night. And the same night, uh, MJ's show was at about seven thirty, eight o'clock. Uh, that happens. They get out of the show. Um, I'm not going to like stop and like go through details. I'm just going to give you like a, mm-hmm. like this is the itinerary of the night, uh, which is MJ's show happens. Harry goes home and immediately huffs the goblin gas. Uh, right after MJ's show, they don't go to an after party, which is strange because, you know, it's your first uh, Broadway show, but whatever they go stargazing and the meteor that has venom in it drops. Uh, Peter wakes up Aunt May to talk about wanting to get engaged to uh, Mary Jane. I looked at the clock when this happened because I was still curious if this was the same time. He wakes Aunt May up at 2.15 a.m. Oh, man. Yeah. Like So, again, this is all happening in the same night. But she opens the door and is like, Peter, what's wrong? He goes, it's MJ. And she looks terrified and he's like, I'm going to ask her to marry me and has this conversation with her at 2.15 a.m. Doesn't call ahead. It just like pounds down the door. <laughs> uh, so he leaves. He leaves a conversation with Aunt May uh, with the ring in his hand. Uh, has the fight with Peter at what I'm assuming is like 3 a.m. or so, which I guess is kind of fits with like the, oh, I guess no one's out there. But for the city mm. that never sleeps. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um and this is also the exact same night that Sandman both escapes, finds his house, gets his Where's Waldo shirt, and then gets transformed into dirt. <laughs> and this all happens in the same night. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I've got I've got thoughts. So 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 first of all, going back to when the symbiote arrives, mm-hmm. even. Even I, this, I do remember. Even like sitting in the theater watching this, 
you know, this little meteorite hits the park, uh, like 20, 30 yards away from, from Peter. I just thought that is really dumb. It just, just this random, just came from nowhere. There's no, I mean, I don't expect it to be like explained out the yin yang, but just the fact it just fell to earth. And, and I, 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 and, and again, I remember thinking this in the theater 14 years ago. I thought they had the perfect setup to bring the symbiote to Earth. J. Jonah Jameson's son in the second movie were introduced to him. He's an yeah. astronaut. He he came back from like a lunar mission. He could have brought it back. It could have been like a space rock or what he thought was a, or whatever. It could have already been in, on Earth. It honestly could have been. Um, it's really two different thoughts uh, that that's making me think of. One is Sam Raimi, of course, famously did not want Venom in this movie. He was browbeat into it by the studio. He mm-hmm. only um, he only wanted Sandman and the Green Goblin 2 Electric Boogaloo to be the villains. And that was it. Which, to be honest, uh, I don't know if that would have made a better movie <laughs> like the the stuff that um that is only sandman uh has like i have a lot of issues with just because it doesn't quite i don't know it just doesn't hit true for me but uh we'll we'll get into that later yeah. but with what you're saying about uh john jameson not only do we have the perfect like reasoning for why this space rock with this goo monster on it would be on earth what could be almost we've got like this high level soap opera thing that's kind of going on with the relationships in these movies uh peter is literally like hanging out with and making out with john jameson's ex-fiance who left him at the altar at the end of spider-man 2 to hang out with this dude For all we know, how fun and also stupid would it have been if John Jameson had brought that back and like, oh, this is like a dangerous substance. And he was like, well, I know exactly who I'm going to throw this at. It's right. the dude who stole my ex, my ex girlfriend. Or they they really could have could have taken just t- gone out in left field and could have made John Jameson venom. Yeah, they just could have they could have created their whole like just you know it's like if you're going to do stuff like this, just make a just you're, you're allowed to commit. make a new continu- make a new continuity. Why not? Who cares? If you're going to do, I mean, you're obviously making different choices for everything else in this movie. Um, the 1950s, the blob meteor coming out of the sky feels like you're just crossing your arms and saying, "All right, fine, he's here." Like, yeah, it's it really does kind of feel like that. It's just an aside. Uh, there's a stupid little detail whenever they go to leave when the symbiote jumps onto the um, scooter where it makes like a V on the um, uh, license plate, like for like oh it's venom. Uh, and it, I didn't even I didn't even notice that. That's well, funny. because it doesn't matter. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> you didn't mention you didn't notice it because they didn't really care to like. Yeah. It's it's in the same energy of like all right fine the meteor landed. Uh, the goo came out of it. It jumped onto the thing. Oh, look, V for Venom. Ha <laughs> Like, leave me alone. Buy the T-shirt. Like, let me get back to what I want to do. And what he wants to do is Sandman. Yeah, I... 
yeah, so they so they introduce uh, Flint Marco. He's he's escaped from prison. I guess there is a prison very close to New York City. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he 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 goes. They never he, mention yeah, it. They literally just kind of go, "Oh, he escaped from jail." Yeah, and that's it. It's not like well, Rikers, and then he was you know, missing for a couple of days. It's just, uh, Hey, we checked tonight and somehow he's just gone and already in like the heart of Manhattan. Right. So he, he, he makes a beeline for his, uh, his apartment where his wife, ex-wife, whatever, and his daughter are. Um, we already know his, you know, some of his motivations because we see his daughter and she's hooked up to oxygen. And I'm like, oh, great. Sick kid. Not just that it's oxygen, but they gave her oxygen and a crutch, like some (laughs) set dresser or it was just like, uh, I don't know. Does she seem sick and pathetic enough? Uh, I don't know. Let's give her like a crotch, like a, not a crotch, a a crutch. um, And uh, just tell her to like speak real soft and uh, the audience will lick it up. Like would it, would, would an eye patch be too much? But we could give her an eye patch, um, some. Oh, you know what? I've got some like molding wax here. Let's just give her leprosy, just a touch of leprosy. Maybe we can put her one of those like hamster balls with uh, oxygen in it, and they're not allowed to touch her. So, so we know that that you know he's he's trying to do the right thing for his daughter at least, and and he's going to try well well, well well at this point we still don't know what his motivations are i guess it, he's we assume he's going to try and get some money to help out his daughter just get but money then, and then give it to her but wouldn't somebody ask questions of like hey you suddenly just have like a burlap sack with a dollar sign on it that's been shown up at your house okay yeah where did you get all this all this money uh yeah, stained, stained with a dye pack yeah <laughs> Don't you have an ex-husband who just like uh, escaped from prison two days before you suddenly had this influx of capital? Yeah, I mean, generally, when at least by movie and television logic or procedure, when a prisoner escapes, the first thing the police do is visit his his next of kin. Absolutely, and like they would be staking out his apartment. Here's another question that I had while I was noticing this is later on, it's implied that like the reason why he's well, not implied, it's pretty much directly stated that the reason that he's in prison is because uh, he was the person who supposedly killed uh, Uncle Ben Parker. And so he's been in prison since the first movie came out. I believe that's 2000. Is that 2004? Am I off on that? Something. That sounds about right. Okay, so he's been in prison for probably about four years, which makes sense. You know, it's a uh, murder is a capital crime. Like, that would be about the time they'd be going through. Um, he breaks into his house, his own house. Oh, it's a 2002, by the way, so it would have been five years. Um, he breaks into his own house and opens a dresser that has his recently washed and folded clothes. He doesn't even have to dig through the dresser. It's just his favorite um, 1950s henchman gangster t-shirt is folded and pressed neatly on top of the whole dresser. It's it's amazing. 
Honey, where's my dock worker shirt? Yeah, where's... Ah, <laughs> oh, shoot, you don't have my penny uh, cab driver hat. This is what I was going to need. And and so he goes through, he finds his perfectly set up um, outfit, and he goes into the kitchen, which I assume has other food in it, but he still chooses to eat, like, Aladdin at the beginning of the cartoon. He just picks up a loaf of bread and just breaks it in half, which is an amazing choice. <laughs> Who does that? Who has loaves, <laughs> uncut loaves of fresh bread just laying about? And he just picks it up and just, like, he could cut it. I mean, he used to live there. He presumably knows where the bread knife is, but instead he's like, no, I'm a street rat now. I've got to tear open this bread with my bare hands um and uh and then the light turns on and he turns and looks at her like oh i've been caught oh that's right also i've been caught because i escaped from prison <laughs> but i'm more upset that you notice that i'm tearing through bread <laughs> well so so then he yeah so he's and and like you said he's in the city he's in the heart of the city right and then five minutes later until he's, he's suddenly not <laughs> He's on the run, and the, and uh, you know there's a whole there's about a dozen police officers and dogs chasing him, and you you, you hear them on the radio, and and they said he's in the marshland. He, he's in the marshland. Oh, you know like, the New York City marshlands, yeah. uh, the ones yeah. that look like that they're halfway between Shawshank Prison and Arizona. Like I don't understand the geography yeah, he, of this. All of a sudden, he looks like he's in like New Orleans. Yeah, running through a swamp, but then. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's a random giant science experiment right in the middle. Oh, I wrote some notes about this because there's a couple of um, questions that I had and things I noticed about this. Um, so this is still fitting in the timeline of things that all happen in the same night. Uh, this uh, experiment essentially happens at like 4 or 5 a.m., which first of all, why? But... <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty sure this happens the same night as everything else. Uh, in fact, I'm certain about it. Um, one scientist says, uh, there's a female scientist that says, oh, there's a fluctuation of mass in one. And then they say, like, oh, well, there's a, a difference there. It's probably a bird. Just run it. But the line, there's a fluctuation of mass in one, makes me think that there's several oh there's multiple of these yeah several pits of god knows what experiment that they're trying to do like whether or not they're just like what if we vaporize sand well thank god we did that at 5 a.m let's go home <laughs> nobody checks nobody uh like they just say yay we did it and what we did was just turned it on now we can go home yeah you know i i thought like when, when he climbs the fence, I thought, you know how they do this in the movies when, when someone goes into space that they're not supposed to, but they don't see the, the warning sign, but the audience sees it. And it says like warning or danger, do not enter. We're destroying sand and yeah. <laughs> something to that effect. Like, but there's nothing like even the audience has no clue like what he's getting himself into other than he fell into a science pit. Well, there is a yellow sign that pretty much just says warning. I well, actually hang on a second. I have just just out of curiosity for like uh, details of stuff. I actually have a copy of it that's up on my laptop on another uh, screen. <laughs> Let me see if if I can find uh, the part where 
he goes past a, oh yeah, there's this bizarre, amazing part where like a dog goes up like as if he's going to bite him. And um, and he just like manhandles this dog and throws it like a yeah. football star. He, he like cold cocks this dog, <laughs> which is amazing. It's just dog punching. Oh, yeah. I I completely forgot about this. Uh, okay, so just to go backwards real quick, um, I I do actually like the fight that uh, that Harry has with Peter, um, because it's just it's it's absurd cartoony nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, when Harry gets knocked out, which is the first of four times in this movie that he gets cold cocked in the head by an object, by the way, I counted. Um, Peter goes to do uh, compressions, like to do CPR. And uh, he does something that drives me insane in normal movies, but particularly in this with the context uh, drives me more crazy. He really goes in for those compressions. He's leaning into it. He's using all of his strength due to support the like proportional strength of a spider. He would be oh, yeah. like caving in his chest and going into the pavement with his bare hands. I mean, not, not to get all comic book, but I mean, Spider-Man can like lift like 10 tons. Yeah. He, he can just kind of like, Oh, I don't want this car to be here. And Okay, yeah. so I'm watching uh, a very brief version of the clip. Uh, yep, here's him just punching that dog in the face, uh, <laughs> climbing up the fence. Okay, so we do have a brief shot of a sign that says, Danger, Particle Physics Test Facility, Keep Out. Oh, okay. And uh, and that's it. It's it's basically written in like aerial font. Um, it this basically looks like the exact sort of sign that like you could just get at uh at like Spencer's and put on your dorm wall. Like it's so like warning zombie crossing. Yeah, basically, uh, it, or one of those. I'm pretty sure that's out of shot of the camera. But if you had pan slightly to the right, it would be one of those like um almost like t-shirt signs. It's like warning there's nothing in here that's worth dying for i'm protected by a uh by a, a loving man who makes me dinner and is a welder and was born in february <laughs> one of those really specific yeah oh god i hate this yeah um well it seems like that the whole point of this movie was like hey we're going to just base things off of t-shirts because of how well venom t-shirts sell so <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he, he just, and a small percentage of new goblin t-shirts probably. Oh yeah. (laughs) Everybody who went to Aspen that year was wearing the new, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so he, he gets turned into sand, um, which can you imagine Sandman? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I will say the, at least, at least like when, like, I guess, we're supposed to th- believe that these are like hours later or the next day or something. Right. But he starts to essentially pull himself together. He starts to reform himself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say those effects held up pretty well. It's still really good. There's only like, uh, like this. All the Sandman effects were pretty good. The stuff that doesn't work effects wise in this movie is stuff that either just conceptually was dumb, which I'll get into later. Or or whatever, but Sandman looks great in pretty much all of the scenes. It looks just comic booky enough, but then also 
with with that cinematic realism to it that you can let it go it's it's a million times better than um we ended up rewatching the mummy recently and some of those like i'm a sand guy effects are real like early window screensaver quality yeah yeah or the like the uh the armies of imhotep yeah. were pretty uh were, were very video gamey right um, yeah. When he pulls himself together uh, and kind of makes a torso for the first time, he leads back and he exhales, which kind of made me just immediately wonder if Sandman really needs to breathe or if that was like he like exhaled his last breath that he ever needed to take again. Um, and in that case, uh, do you just, now that you're sand and you can reconfigure yourself, can you reconfigure yourself into like, are you essentially functionally immortal? Can sickness not hurt you? And if that's the case, can you drag your sick daughter into one of the several other pits and maybe you just mm. solve her sickness immediately <laughs> by making a sand daughter? It's perfect. Well, you know, there, there is something to that. Like, because I thought, okay, can he, so whether he chooses to do this or whether it's like just something buried in him but when he reforms himself he takes his exact same form he's wearing the same clothes i mean it's he somehow recolors himself yeah i don't I, know how that works i don't know if it's so, like a matrix thing where they do like the residual self image where if he had really wanted to he could probably even focus himself into being a shapeshifter at some point that's that's what i'm getting at like could he have it's almost a shame that they that he was not just this single villain in this movie because I feel like the potential for him to be villainous was there. Like he could, um, as Sand, he could get into just about any space and take any form, and you know, could he morph himself into a like? A, a black man, an old woman, a little kid, uh, a dog, like could, yeah. I mean like a lot I of think... sand is silicone, right? Like it's a silicone based substance. Mm -hmm. So that's like, you're absolutely correct that there's a huge amount of possibility because silicone is kind of like a real heavy basis for a lot of things. You, you and it's good. It's comic book science. So it's yeah. like, he could do anything. I mean, technically, if we wanted to, we could, oh, I don't know, give him the ability to fly like he <laughs> has in yeah. the movie for seemingly no reason. Yeah, he can. He, he Yeah, all of a sudden, he's just a floating sand cloud that yeah. can fly away. But um, no, I mean, he, he had the potential to be able to do all these things. But it's like, nah, he's a bank robber with a green striped shirt. Right. That's cool. Which it kind of works in the comic because Flint Marco is, is a dumb dumb. He's an idiot. And so right. you can kind of get away with like, well, of course he wouldn't think about these things because he's just like, ah, I'm sad now. And that's enough. But right. He's just a thug. Yeah. In the comics in the, in the movie, it, it felt like he, there was more depth there to be mined, but they never, they never, he never got the chance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Instead we get, uh, my daughter's break by. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I don't believe that was ever resolved. That was never, they, they never came back around. No, to that. just uh, every so often, every so often he would hold up the, the locket that his daughter gave him, which I, I wrote I this down. This. 
I, I wrote this down. I'm like, how the hell is he still holding on to this locket? Where is he putting it? There's a point where sand. <laughs> he gets turned into mud and just like is. Oh, he just washed away. Yeah, is, he's essentially functionally dead for like a day and a half. And when he reconfigures himself, he immediately has that locket in his hand. But right. it's the the physics to it or the actual reasoning behind it are mostly just kind of centered around, oh, you know, just because we wanted him to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was it was like his tether to emotion. Right. It's like here, right. audience, we never forget see he's got a sick daughter. Kind between of what we had figured out for him, him. and his daughter. We we never uh, find out if he, uh, if he oh, is able the, to make his daughter or to get his daughter what she needs. That never comes up again. It doesn't. And there's actually a when we get to the end of this movie, uh, I actually had a thought about like how this could have been wrapped up so much cleaner. Uh, it's obviously not. But um <laughs> The the next morning, so we're on day two, uh, is um, we're in Peter's apartment where uh, Peter and MJ have like a pretty standard um, relationship argument where they're just not really Peter's. Tr- it's it's a very standard happened a thousand times uh, to everybody who's ever existed. It's happened to me where Peter's just trying to like fix the problem and all. MJ wants is to just have him like listen to her. But Peter is, uh, is Peter is like really selfish and shitty boyfriend in this whole movie. Like he's the whole, um, everybody kind of has their moment to just kind of be like, uh, a total self-absorbed idiot in this movie to where, uh, the only person the only two people that I leave the movie really feeling like sympathy and, Oh, you did nothing wrong to are either aunt may or, um, Gwen Stacy, Gwen Stacy, like comes across as kind of vapid, but has like this really great moment, um, partway through the film where like there's humanity that's allowed to like go through. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ah, oh, see, you're, you're better than this movie and everybody in it. You can, you're excused. <laughs> You know what, and, and, and not to jump too far ahead, but all, all I'm going to say is, and I think it was one of my final notes of this movie was, um, it was just such a, it was a, this, this, it was a waste of a good Gwen Stacy. It was. And there's so many, uh, she added absolutely, and, and, and not for, through any fault of her own, but she no, added the writing to the itself. movie. The, the writing yeah. gives her, gives that character absolutely nothing to do. And if it she is, she was perfect. Yeah. Like it's, it's Bryce Dallas Howard. She's magnetic. Like there's no way mm-hmm. to not just kind of like get wrapped up in her charisma, even whenever it's, you know, Oh, I'm just going to kind of be like this wide eyed, like excitable girl. Yeah. Uh, technically Which, that character could have been like one of a thousand different, uh, Spider-Man two issue girlfriends. Like it, it could have been Liz Allen and it wouldn't have mattered. Right. Well, um, yeah, because you know, in the comics, she's always been this, um, like she she's almost described as this like she's just. I mean, aside from her outer beauty, she has this inner beauty where just yeah, she's just this beautiful soul, and she's just like you can't help but feel happy when you're around her type of thing, and and then you've got MJ who's supposed to be this 
vivacious, larger than life. Um, I don't want to say party girl, but just the, or the, she's the life of the party. She's the, uh, outwardly vapid, but inwardly like the smartest or most wise person in the room. Yeah. But there's the, right after Gwen Stacy dies in the comics, there's this, uh, this page that is honestly one of my most favorite, um, uh, favorite single pages in comics to where I've drunkenly argued with people for hours over, no, MJ is perfect <laughs> for Spider-Man. They just never do her right, which is, uh, it's after Gwen Stacy died, and um, and Peter is just grieving really, really hard, and uh, all of his friends are like, of course, trying to be like, hey, Peter, you all right, buddy? Can we get you anything? He's like, no, I'm fine. And she's the only one that he really kind of like takes it out on like you know he does the, the yeah Peter he parker word and she's like hey he do you need out at her yeah he's like hey and so she shows up and i was like hey do you need any help and he's like of all people in the world like no from you uh you're you're miss fun times like i don't want someone who has never understood like a single bit of misery in her life to be her right now like get the hell out of here mm-hmm. and she goes like as if she's going to leave and like stops at the door and closes it and just goes over and sits down quietly beside him and just like holds his hand and doesn't say anything. And mm-hmm. there's like this, this unspoken, like, no, there's, there's a lot of hurt in here, but like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you like, you know, work this out a bit and just, I know you need a person, but you don't need someone right now. Right. Yeah. That was, I, that, that was definitely a turning point in the comics for that character. Yeah. But I guess um, it, it's just funny. It's just these these two, in, in my mind, when I watch this movie, they <laughs> they they really got it for the for the maybe total of ten minutes that Bryce Dallas Howard portrays Gwen Stacy in this movie, she absolutely outshines Kirsten Dunst, who as MJ, it, even though I like, yes, we know she's going through some like personal and professional turmoil yeah they, they um, don't they, give her any life until like she's not with peter for a little bit yeah she's about ex- she's about as exciting as a basket of wet laundry mm-hmm. like yeah and, and then yeah you're right and the only time she does show any kind of um life is when she's with harry and at that point she's still technically with peter so there- she, there she's some. kind of like not cheating on him. I mean, because they're all friends. They're all part of this friend group of friends. Right. But, but she's hurting. She's not getting her needs met. And she knows that she's not going to. It's not that like she doesn't really talk to Peter in their relationship. But it's not because of like, you know, oh, she's a bad girlfriend who's like, I don't want to talk about it. But it's she knows that he's not going to hear her. He's not actually going to help. She just wants to be able to talk to somebody and he's just going to immediately be like, no, I get it. One time uh, when I was Spider-Man, I had to save a bus full of kids. But, you know, uh, I, I still like block traffic and people are mad about that. You know, sometimes you got to just like move on. And she's like, no, can't we just like. So he's, uh, he's Spider-Man explaining to her how to, how, to, how to feel. Uh, this this whole movie is just scene after scene after scene of me yelling break up with him. <laughs> yeah, it was very depressing to watch. Even even in the beginning when they were still kind of on good terms, 
I was like, wow, you guys just, you, you feel like, do you ever like, uh, obviously this would be pre pandemic, mm-hmm. but have you ever, and I think you're, you're probably gonna know what I'm talking about. You if you've been out to eat and you know, maybe you're sitting there with friend, you know, your significant other and you're having a great conversation or whatever. And you look over and there's this other couple, like maybe a middle-aged couple and they're just sitting at the table in complete silence. Oh yeah. Like not even like looking, looking at any, any place other than their partner. They're just there to eat and look at all the shit on the walls at the Applebee's. Like, well, I mean, I used to work at hard rock, so it was exactly <laughs> that, and, but it's like this couple that's just like, they've got nothing to talk. They literally have nothing to talk about because they or, know that if they start talking, then it's going to be about everything. And then that's just, this is just us realizing this doesn't work over a plate of nachos. Yeah, we didn't like, really want. Wow. I hate this person. Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, no, it's that's that's really what it is. And the thing that's see, that would at least be like an understanding within that relationship. Uh, Peter in this movie has no idea anything's wrong. Like the the relationship is essentially hemorrhaging. And here's here's something that I'm going to be saying, like a lot in future episodes, too. Um, There's a a, there's a really good um, David Mamet. Uh, personal drama uh, under here. If you just got rid of all the superhero shit, like it's the, the, the stuff that works in this movie are the things that have for me, at least the things that work in this movie for me are all the stuff that has nothing to do with superheroes and all the stuff that's terrible is like, well, now you're venom, but it's, yeah, uh, it's like, it, it's, there's almost like a soap opera, a revolutionary road, um, decay of a relationship study underneath everything but he just happens to also every once in a while wear tights and fight like <laughs> well okay so 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 speaking of so you know speaking of uh wearing the tights and the the motivation for being spider-man um this is another thing i never understood the complete disregard for the motivation to be spider-man was uh, was out was just amazing. The fact that they retconned Uncle Ben's murder yeah. to say that Flint Marco did it, which okay, gr- great. Not that you know you, you didn't need to do that, but that completely you know uh, Peter's whole whole reason for being Spider Man was because he thought that he let the killer get away. Well, that's it's interesting you should say that because I don't think that exists for him anymore at this point in the series or his life. Uh, for example, okay, so uh, getting back like into like this vague timeline that kind of happens, uh, the the very next scene that happens is um, is the crane rescue, which mm-hmm. somehow looks both really, really expensive and really, really cheap at the same time. I don't know how they <laughs> do it, but it looks like it costs a lot of money. And it also looks like that it didn't cost enough money at the that, same Yeah. Time. That, that part was equally like, yeah, cheesy, but also kind of cool. Yeah. Well, like, like when, when Spider-Man showed up and when he was executing his rescue of Gwen, yeah. that was pretty cool. That was cool. But everything before that with like the wacky waving inflatable arm flailing crane, like, and, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and like this outside, um, like video game, 
uh, uncharted level destruction that's happening uh, looks looks strange. But um, in in the same amount of time, and again, like I kept track of like the days. Supposedly, this crane scene um, actually happens the same day as the key to the city ceremony. And uh, the only wow. reason, yeah, the only reason why I'm really kind of bringing that up is not only is that insane for a couple of different reasons. Um, by this point, I don't think that Peter is doing it for the responsibility anymore. Even whenever the uh, whenever he and MJ are talking in his apartment earlier, and the um, the police tracker kicks on, and he goes, "Well, duty calls," and goes out. It's I mean, it's fun to be Spider-Man, of course, but like that's it's it's escapism to it. It's he gets to like just be told how yeah. great he is and feel amazing and. Well, that's the that was, I, yeah. I, I think you're right in that in the first two movies, Spider-Man, like in the first movie, like he was still an unknown, like he was still the creepy Spider-Man, and then in the second movie, you know, I think he starts gaining some respect. And then by the third movie, everyone is in love with Spider-Man. And, yeah, and then he's starting to, yeah, he's starting to think like, Oh, this is, this is great. People finally love me for once. And I think, yeah, and you're right. It's starting to kind of go to his head. Oh, 100% to where he's like, not even able to like, listen to like MJ's like, Hey, I'm feeling emotionally vulnerable. And he's like, I'm Spider-Man. How could anything be bad ever? But, uh, so, so they give him the key to the city, right? Um, he finds out about the key to the city ceremony from a news ticker. He finds <laughs> out like hours before this ceremony happens from just happening to look at like the right billboard. Yeah. Uh, yeah I feel like, like, yeah. yeah, logistically there's no way they could have pulled this together in like two hours, especially because the keynote speaker of this is even though she's the captain, the police captain's daughter, the keynote speaker is somebody who fell 60 something stories yeah. 12 hours ago, apparently never got checked out at the hospital was just like, <laughs> Hey, I'm going to write a speech real quick. Call everybody. Plus. Yeah. Oh, by the way, there was probably millions of dollars worth of destruction and possibly death that happened just a few hours ago. Is a, is, is a key to the city ceremony really the priority? Yeah. Like, is that financially viable right now? Like what are those funds would have to go to, there's still like debris and like lips right. laying around the city. And they're like, I'm probably in a marching band. They're probably digging people out of the rubble still. <laughs> and, Meanwhile, across town, they're blowing up balloons. Oh, 100% is what's happening. It's, oh boy. Uh, he, they, he gets to the, uh, the ceremony and she gives like this speech. Uh, again, Peter, like MJ is having um, trouble, but she can't talk to Peter about it because Peter is the worst. And, uh, but gets to talk with Harry because Harry's out of the hospital now um, and has amnesia because of course he does. And the emotional content of this movie is so proper level. Uh, but they get to have, um, I feel like that he was given amnesia in this movie, not just for like narrative flair, but just so that MJ had someone to talk to in this movie. Yeah. He had to be like nice, happy go lucky Harry. Yeah. For a little while. Uh, so the, the key to the ceremony, um, 
like well the key to the city ceremony uh scene happens where just two quick little details that I like pointing out because one of the reasons why I really like this movie is just not only um just the stupid broad choices but the stupid little ones <laughs> like uh when Spidey first swings in and lands he yells Shazam which is that's right. This is like the fourth time in the series that he's done it. So canonically, uh, like cinema Spidey's catchphrase is Shazam. Um, and there's this small detail. And if you get the chance, go back and watch it. Uh, if you're listening to this at home and you have a copy of Spider-Man three, um, go ahead and just plug as much as you don't want to go ahead and put that into, uh, your, DVD or Blu-ray player and the scene like at the ceremony right when Gwen Stacy says the one the only the amazing Spider-Man or whatever she says and like stretches her hand out and the band starts playing the theme song the woman who's immediately to her right but your left when you're watching the screen um, stands up and throws her arms open and yells Spider-Man and grabs her head and hair and pulls on it like she's suddenly seen like an eldritch horror and screams and shakes her head. And it's for like a split second. There's amazing, just stupid and incredible background background work that's happening in this movie that is baffling. And mm-hmm. uh, and that's one that I look for every single time I watch this movie because that woman makes me laugh, um, because she's she's on the the dais like she's on the main stage so she would have mm-hmm. to be like a um, someone of renown within the city but she yeah like a like a like yeah like a city councilor or something yeah like so the city councilwoman just loses her mind at Spider Man showing up even though he's been living there doing stuff for like six years. <laughs> Uh, so, so that happens. And then of course we get the kiss, which Mm. is, and again, this goes back to Gwen is one of only two redeemable characters in this whole movie. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't know any better. The audience yells, uh, kiss him. And Peter knowing full well that Mary Jane is watching this does their kiss. And he's the one who initiates and says, no, it's cool. Yeah. And this is MJ needs to break up with Peter point number like two out of a billion. <laughs> and it's it, it's it's amazing. Uh, I mean, obviously it's amazing. It's amazing Spider-Man, but like <laughs> um so so they they have their kiss and she's uh, of course, I'm sure that uh Gwen Stacy's having the best day of her life. Uh so Sandman starts doing Sandman things, right? Uh, he's he's walking down the city. The police point him out and say, hey, I think that's that guy. Uh, he goes into the sand truck and then turns into like a big sand guy. And they they shoot him. But he holds up his hands and screams as if it hurts. Now, do you think that it actually hurts at that point? Or is it like the the memory like association? I, th- I, yeah, I thought that too. And I, I think that was just a, like a, an automatic 
reaction to being, cause he's still, you know, he's like probably less than 12 hours from having been turned into like a sand person. Oh, I can promise you it's I less mean, than 12 hours. I've got a timeline, he, right? That's right. You've got the timeline. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's probably just, just, a uh, an automatic reaction to being shot at. Absolutely. I mean, if I was being shot at too, um, I would probably react in that way, just going, ah, and holding up my hands. Uh, a lot of the shots of this, um, and I feel like that I read that this is the case, but I can't remember. Uh, a lot of the shots of sand just kind of look like Rice Krispies, which is delicious. And <laughs> and there's that. Uh, Spider-Man doesn't make a lot of quips in the series in general, and some of the ones he does make are problematic. But the only, like, joke joke that I guess you can uh, call it is when he says to Sandman, I guess you haven't heard I'm the sheriff around these parts. And he says it with oh, such yeah. like arrogance because he, uh, again, it's not about the power or the responsibility. It's just about the power now. It's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, you're, yeah, he's definitely, yeah, he's definitely more of a jerk in this movie. He's, he's a, even before the black jerk. costume. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're going to get to that because I'm working on this theory, uh, every time they watch this movie that the Venom suit may have actually have been fine if it had not bonded to Peter Parker first. Like, cause a lot of the stuff that people think about when you think about this movie, which is, oh, I don't like that movie. Why? Well, the Venom stuff was um, is stupid, and Peter's mean in that movie. He's mean in this entire movie. Uh, even, like, huh, the, the, okay, let's take the very next scene, for example. It's the dinner scene, right? Uh, oh, where, where he's supposed to be proposing to her. First of all, he hasn't noticed that, like, He's he's so all up in his own mind about this is what's going to happen. It's going to be perfect. I'm perfect that he first of all woke his aunt up at 2 a.m. But um, he right after uh, kissing Gwen doesn't call MJ, doesn't have a single conversation with her until this dinner where like she's practically still like lipstick still on his mouth and he's like, I'm going to propose to Mary Jane. And um, yeah. Also in the most cliche way possible, like his, yeah. his ideas of romance they're I, you can't even say they're outdated. They're just, they're the worst. I like mean, they're the, they're the God. most cliche, um, just uh, cringy groan inducing. All of his stuff is in this. Like, I mean, even throughout the, like the past couple, like the, the, this particular movie series has this air of him being very out of touch and like almost kind of antiquated and not really being sure other than uh, Spider-Man, like he's just a big dork and whether or not that's because he was raised by his aunt and uncle that are somehow both like 70 years older than him um, <laughs> is, is one thing, but even later, whenever he starts to become cool his version of yeah, this is badass. Is I'm gonna wear a dark suit and listen to jazz and dance to James Brown, and that's what a bad boy does. Yeah, I, I um, 
not to jump ahead too too far, but but that yeah, I have it written down where he's the scene where he's strutting down the street, uh, waving his finger guns. He doesn't look cool or handsome. He looks greasy and creepy. Yeah, like like literally every woman is repulsed by him. It's well, the people. The, here's here's a, something that I thought that was kind of interesting is there's all the ones where he's looking at them, like the shots where like you're just looking directly at the women. They all like scoff and whatever. There's mm-hmm. a, a couple of different shots where like. Uh, they look at him like, mm, yeah, but it's only whenever his back is turned to them, which at first, uh, the first time I saw the movie, I was like, well, that's gross. Cause it feels like the, what you're saying is that like, yeah, they're, re- they're rejecting him, but secretly they all want him. But the more that I watch this, the more that like, cause it's, it's in the shots where he's dancing and like almost kind of in his own headspace. I'm thinking that that's in his head. He's thinking, yeah, but I bet they're all turning back and like really wanting it. Uh, so he that arrogant. Yeah, or his. I feel like, or it could just be that he he has so much ego. He already had a bunch of ego even before he got the black suit or the symbiote. The symbiote amplifies all that stuff, so his ego is out of control, probably to the point where. He doesn't care if he's making anyone notice. He, in his mind, like you said, he's like, awesome. Yeah, this is for me. Yeah, he's awesome, and he'll probably he probably just assumes that everyone's looking at him. That you know, so he does, he's not even bothering to turn back to look to see if anyone's. You know, he just probably thinks like, "Oh, I'm the best." Yeah, and everybody loves me. See, I, I I promise I am trying to like uh, keep track with like the order this movie goes, but it per it, like that stuff permeates this entire <laughs> the entire film is is just the arrogance and like how that affects him later. Um, oh, okay, so he uh, so it's it's still the it's still the dinner scene. Um, he doesn't even realize that. Um, that like there's problems with the relationship and she needs like a real good conversation, but not to be just proposed to out of nowhere. Uh, We have Bruce Campbell showing up and he's always great in these movies. Yeah, Um, definitely. He he was uh, apparently it was supposed to be, and I'm sure you know this um, because they had plans for movies after this and uh, in Spider-Man four, the beginning of it was supposed to be a montage of, Although it was like, okay, the Green Goblin happened and then it was kind of quiet for two years and then Doc Ock happened and then it was quiet for like three years. Um, The implication between Spider-Man 3 and 4 was that uh, I I guess like Ghostbusters hell opened up and now we're just doing like villain, villain, villain. Uh, Bruce Campbell in Spider-Man 4 was supposed to be, it was supposed to be a cameo of him being a defeated Quentin Beck Mysterio mm-hmm. at the very beginning of Spider-Man four with the idea of it being retroactively. Oh, every uh, one of these characters that Bruce was playing were all Quentin Beck essentially doing a bit like with right. uh, like while having to take these side mm-hmm. jobs while his career wasn't taking up off, which I love. I love mm-hmm. that idea. It's an insane concept. Yeah. But, um, he it seems like he is 
trying to legitimately help Peter, but he's just stupid. Um, and also the situation is dumb. Like, how do you salvage, like, oh, yes, I'll help you propose to this girl. Uh, what's that, your lab partner that she doesn't know about that you, like, made out with in front of the entire city uh, is coming over to to ask about photos of said makeout? Um, it seems like that nobody can help him in that situation. Uh, oh, um, so... Hang on. Uh, the the psychology of Peter going on after the idea of him being like ego and like really just self centered and self assessed and shitty. Uh, so I've noticed something that happens in this scene and also happens in all the other movies and similar scenes like this. Peter is very like self-centered and arrogant in this movie but in every single movie where he's like directly approached with emotions he shuts down he like spirals he like oh i uh i don't know like and and suddenly has no idea what to do about it um in in spider-man one whenever uh they're talking like by the fence and stuff like that and he of course is like completely in love with mj and she like is is direct about it and is like hey um are you okay like i've kind of noticed you knows you before and he immediately shuts down and is like well i don't i no no i wouldn't i wouldn't like you or whatever <laughs> and spider-man 2 they're in the diner and she directly says do you love me or not and he shuts out and like, oh, I don't know. If, and she goes, okay, well then kiss me and prove me you don't. And he's like, well, I, I... And like, it does all this Tobin Maguire noises. And the <laughs> same thing happens in this dinner scene because she's... Uh, MJ's been kind of keeping this up, like keeping everything down. And it's like, I'm gonna... I'll, I'll find the right time to talk with him about it. The moment this Gwen situation happens, um, she immediately is like, so she knows all about me, but I don't know anything about her. Uh, like, and what was that kiss about? You know what? We're doing this now. Like it, you've got some answering to Peter. And he immediately starts doing like the Tobey Maguire noises. Like he, he, yeah. just, anytime in any of these movies, even when like Harry confronts him, it was like, Oh, I'm feeling this. And like, you're, you're, you're the reason my father's dead. He just immediately shuts down. I was like, Oh, there's, there's, bigger things than that going on can you please just like tap it down unless i can punch a problem in the face i don't know how to deal with it (laughs) you know it it's uh it's it's really uh becoming apparent to me now that you know that uncle ben may have been a good role model for like 1950s uh right and wrong yeah but he probably didn't teach peter a lot in the ways of like like emotional health. Yeah. How to, how to be a man to a woman. Yeah. And, and, and Peter, you know, he grew up, we presume for most of his life with this older couple who has been, you know, had been like, they had a probably a more old timey traditional, you know, uh, marriage. Like, um, like I said, you know, they were probably married in like the fifties or sixties. And she probably kept the house and he went out and made a living. And, and, and that was his, 
you know, that, that was his, uh, you know, that's what he was exposed to for most of his life. And all that, like anytime there's been trouble or whatever, his, uh, his answer, what he was being taught by his surrogate parents was essentially like a, Hey, we believe in you. Strength comes from the inside. There's no point in fighting back. Good will always prevail. So don't you worry about it. And so you end up with like this very kind of like emotionally truncated nerd, which, you know, I, uh, I support and I can identify with parts of that, but, uh, but it's, it's a really, the, the difference between Peter and Spider-Man in these uh, are interesting because there's almost kind of like an emotional balance between the two in Spider-Man two, where whenever he quits being Spider-Man, he allows like the Spider-Man kind of personality to like coexist in him. But in this one, it's the problem is that there's almost like all Spider-Man and no Peter Mm -hmm. like in the can. Uh, And so it's all just bravado and like, yeah, I can do this. I'm the sheriff in these parts. And then the moment that MJ is like, I'm unhappy. He's like, Oh no. (laughs) Oh, I don't know how to be anything. (laughs) I don't know what it's like to have a woman be unhappy with me. I've just been told that I'm wonderful. He's, he's basically Buster Bluth. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that would, uh, that's the else worlds that we need. I hope spider verse two is just, (laughs) No, yeah, I mean, uh, joking aside, like, I, I feel like we, growing up, we've we've all had that, we've all known that one kid, who, maybe his parents were older than our parents, like he was, you know, he or she was, you know, they were uh, a surprise baby. Like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, their parents had them late in life for them, so they were weird. They were the weird kid because they basically grew up with two old people. The one you know, where you talk to them and you realize that there's like a well that's underneath all that and like a depth of like strength or whatever. But yeah. on top, it's all just smooth as glass and not connective. Yeah. Right. Or they're the kids that always wore, you know, even during the week, they wore their church clothes to school. Yeah. You know, they, they were they were just the weird kids because they're because they grew up with a parents who came from a different generation and it, it affected them. And I, I, I really think that's what happened with Peter. I think he grew up with parents that were from a different generation Oh and yeah, it, and it, and it affected him adversely. It even affected like him being a jerk. He can't even be a jerk properly. I mean, this is, that's a really good point because I'm also now realizing that like he was, so in the first movie, he's a high school student in New York city wearing like a cardigan. Like that's, there's nothing like very first shot of the movie is him wearing a polo with a cardigan over top of it, running after a school bus. Uh, he had no chance. Like there's no, yeah. Zero. Cool. Yeah. Zero. Cool. Um, so, so this is, uh, so the dinner scene is MJ needs to break up with Peter point number two out of a billion. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the end of the second day in this timeline. Uh, very, very quick rundown of all the things that's implied to have happened in the same movie is um, let me, let me be 100% sure. Okay. Very beginning of this day is uh, Sandman pulls himself back to life. Um, the crane uh, smashes up a building. Peter gets the key to the city 
Uh, Harry gets let out of the hospital. I almost said prison. That's not true. He fights Sandman and then gets turned down for dinner. Uh, now, beginning of day three, poor, M- poor Aunt May, who was just like the previous night woken up at 2 a.m., uh, has to start her day with, hey, come down to the police station. Uh, Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Boy, are we embarrassed. Yeah, and because nobody's shouting directly at Peter to make him like be subservient in the scene, instead they're being really polite and said now it's Peter gets the chance to lash out and be like, mm-hmm. like what the hell? I thought I, whether or not the feeling of like, okay, I already grieved over the fact that I'm pretty sure that I killed my uncle's killer, but like instead it's been like five years and this dude was still out there. How did we like, why was this kept from us? Um, and then of course we have this hilarious over dramatic fake memory of like, uh, where, where it's not even a real flashback. It's, it really feels like it's just Peter's imagination where he's just imagining, um, flip Marco essentially like carjacking and shooting uncle Ben. Like he's snidely whiplash. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's practically winking at the camera and like snarling. Like it's amazing. <laughs> uh, which uh, led me to the, the note that I wrote, which was if venom was not in this movie at all, Peter would still be an unhinged jerk. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. He doesn't, he, 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 he does not need the, the, the symbiote to, uh, to be a dick. No, he's, he just is. <laughs> So, so, so speaking of the symbiote, um, so I think the next scene is, um, or shortly after he, Peter has Dr. Connors examine like part of it, part of the goo. Well, first, before we get there, we still have, uh, of course we, we get the costume change. It latches on to him in the middle of the night. Oh, that's right. Um, and then, uh, he immediately, uh goes to um goes to essentially attempt to murder sandman like the very first night that he gets the suit on him and he's like hey i'm pretty strong now he just happens to like go after sandman right um, oh that's right because they they end up fighting like in the subway yeah and which looks a lot like the final fight in black panther like we just have trains <laughs> all yeah. over the place yeah trains and like it's like this huge cavern full of pipes and old rails. And I'm like, why does this look like, why why does this look like the temple of doom? It does. It looks like, like Ben Parker's wild ride. It's this insane, like, uh, this insane, um, Oh God, I want to say cataclysm, but that's not true. Almost like a cavern. Mm -hmm. That's just like, full of trains coming out at like cartoon angles. And, uh, yeah. and then Peter, uh, like, you know, throws, like, uh, realizes that water screws him up. So then he throws water on him and flushes him away. Yells good riddance fully just believing that like, yeah, I just killed a guy. Um, mm-hmm. and then goes upstairs. But I mean, goes up onto the surface and messes up his hair in a mirror. Um, and, 
Emo Parker. Emo Parker is here we are with the Pete Wentz haircut. Perfect. Uh, but here's something that I also didn't realize until um, I start mapping out this timeline. So assuming that I'm correct with this time, here's uh, here's what Aunt May's life has been like for the past three days. Oh, boy. Uh, she got woken up at 2 a.m., of course, to say, hey, I'm going to marry this woman. The next she has a full day, goes to bed, wakes up, is told to come to the police station, and then is told, hey, we were wrong. This dude killed your uncle instead. And uh, her nephew has a complete fit, like an absolute like yelling at this dude in the face uh, fit, and then storms out of the police station. And so she goes home with that information, doesn't hear from Peter, just has to sit alone in her apartment and just like deal with that info. And the next morning, Peter comes over and says, Hey, did you hear Spider-Man killed our uncle's killer last night? Why aren't <laughs> you happy? And this is, yeah. And this is after I'm fully convinced by this movie. She 100% knows that he's Spider-Man. I felt like she knew in the second movie. Like, yeah. It was course. kind of like a, like a wink and a nod. Like, yeah when she's moving out of the uh, the house in the second one and that little boy mm-hmm. um, is like there and she goes like, Hey, you're never going to guess uh, like who he wants to when he grows up Spider-Man. You know, a lot of people are wondering where Spider-Man's been, you know, Peter wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> and it gives him like this pep talk of like, I'm not saying you're Spider-Man, but if you are, I think he should blah, blah, blah. Is, it, is, is that when she quoted uh the uh, Nickelback lyrics, like there's a hero inside every one of us or something. Basically. Yeah. Um, she, she, she quotes uh, Nickelback. She takes a moment to, I think she almost gets a dashboard confessional out. Uh, and, <laughs> and yeah. And then like, he goes off and he's like, you know what? You're right. Uh, eyesight, but damned, I'm going to fish my costume out of the garbage and be cool again. But um but no, poor Aunt May has been through the ringer for three days and like just found out that like this dude killed her husband. And then the very next morning he shows up and he is like, hey, the person who's definitely not me killed uh, <laughs> killed him last night. Aren't you excited? Why aren't you happy? Mm-hmm. And uh, and whether or not she believes that um, that he's telling the truth or he's just doing some kind of psychological thing of like, what if I lied to you and s- to see if you would feel better? Um, yeah. Oh, uh, Im- important little plot point that I realized that we didn't mention. This is just like a one line thing. Um, uh, MJ loses her her spot on the Broadway show after like her debut. Yes. Yeah. She gets replaced. Yeah, after only doing one uh, performance, but mm-hmm. she never tells Peter about it. Um, whether or not that's a mixture between like they just have you know the communication problems that they have in their relationship, or if it's just like she doesn't get the chance to say anything about her own life because he's too busy saying like, "Oh, I punched three like uh, taxi shorters in the head today. It was great." <laughs> This this might have been right around the time I put in my notes. God, it's only halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. Ah <laughs> oh, man. And then uh, and then it went right into the very to me very uh, cringy 
Mary Jane, Harry, dancing, cooking, and kissing. This is the first of, I, I wrote it down, it's either three or four dance sequences in this movie. Which is an insane thing to say out loud. Which, which is three or four too many. Yeah. Um, so she gets the, you're right, she gets the jazz, the job at the jazz club. Um, and uh, and there's there's a really nice shot where it kind of shows like, it's it's almost like the exact same shot as uh, as either Tootsie or Ordinary People. That's just like, well, she's just blending into New York now. She's no longer, Peter is being exalted and singled out and she's mm-hmm. nothing. She's just uh, one of the rabble. Yeah. So she calls Harry because, of course, she can't call Peter and say, like, hey, I got the job at the jazz club without admitting everything else. Um, and uh, so, yeah, she goes to his apartment. They act like real human beings in this scene. Like, she's actually smiling and seems to be, like, enjoying it's, herself more. Yeah. I, it's the happiest she's looked in the entire movie. And you're right. It's, I think it's the first time she really had a a genuine smile on her face. Absolutely, like she was happy for the first time in in a week. Which I wrote down as a note. But since we are going through Peter's psychology, let's uh, take a toe dip into Mary Jane real quick. So, uh, first movie, right? Like she grows up in an abusive household that's next to Peter's. So for all we know, um, half of the reason why she's staying with Peter is just because like, it's what she knows. It's like, you're the guy that I've seen my entire life. Like that's, she knows he's a, he's a, he he may not be perfect, but he's a decent guy. Yeah. It's like, it's the, the devil, you know, sort of thing or whatever. And even whenever he starts to kind of get up in his hockles and like, start to be like a, a jerk, uh, emotionally. Um, I mean, it's it's literally okay. I'm dating the boy next door to me, and I grew up in a house where like I was. Um, uh, there's a scene where like her dad chases her out of the house and yells like, "You're trash. You're always going to be trash." Um, that's still having Peter go. Oh yeah, you know you're just going to have to like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Sometimes things are bad, right? Gotta go. Like that's still an <laughs> infinite better universe than what she grew up with. Mm-hmm. But um, but you get Harry who's actually acting like an interested person to her. And she like immediately kind of falls for it. I mean, she's the, she's the person who leans in for that kiss. Like she's the one who makes the move of like, mm-hmm. like brushes the hair out of the way. And I was like, Hey, that scar is almost gone. And then, uh, Oh yeah. She definitely makes yeah. the first move. She makes the first move and immediately is like, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I technically haven't broken up with Peter, even though I've done, I've almost gotten close like three times in the past two days. And, uh, and again, so with the timing of everything, she, she leaves, he, uh, immediately starts hallucinating his dad. Now, whether or not, um, how much of that madness is the goblin formula and how much of it is like a real genetic psychosis. And, (laughs) whether or not or whether or not norm's even norman could even be a ghost for all we know because he quotes himself from the first movie and like from a scene that harry wasn't even near or like wouldn't have heard him say because he says the Mm -hmm. like first we attack the heart which is something that the goblin yells at norman in the first movie so again whether or not that's a ghost who cares but uh mj goes back to her apartment 
gets just gets into the door uh, just soon enough to miss Peter leaving a voicemail. And Harry is immediately there on his boogie board. Yeah. Oh now, this God. is this is like 30 minutes after she kissed him and they were like dancing to the twist, making omelets on the floor. <laughs> and he's just immediately in her apartment and grabs her by the throat and is like, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> and, uh, and blackmails her into doing what she should have done like weeks ago, which is break up with Peter Parker. Yeah. But which, which I, which I would be okay with, but at the same time, if, if she's breaking up with him and, and she's probably, you know, she's half doing it under duress right. and probably half doing it because it's the right thing to do at that point. Why is why like she, she's on the bridge long enough to lure him there to talk. Peter, why why continue man. the ruse? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why, why not just say, uh, listen, there's <laughs> Peter's, Harry's, Harry's right over there under that tree. Like, yeah, happy by the throat, like he's like, flying up to Harry. <laughs> yeah. Like, why not just say, you know, Harry screwed up. He's, he's, you know, he, he, whatever, he's all effed up. Like that would have been an amazing scene if like he did show up on the bridge and then she, he's like, Hey, you wanted to talk? And she goes, yeah, we're through. And then leans forward and says like, Hey, um, Harry's doing that thing. His dad did because Peter would have been like, Oh shit. His memory came back. And he goes, what do you mean? Did his memory come back? And he'd be like, I'll tell you later, which tree is he under? And then it would have been solved like immediately. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I get it. Like you said, the point was to break his heart into, it was like this two pronged approach because then MJ breaks his heart. And then later on at that coffee shop, Harry breaks his heart by saying, I'm the other guy. Yeah. Which is, well, when, when MJ, when MJ like is saying like the, Hey, this isn't working as much as it's under duress. I feel like that there's a couple of parts that kind of feel like that. She's like, well, if I'm doing this, I might as well get some things off my chest. And like, yeah. there's like a couple of things. I was like, no, like these were legitimate grievances I was having. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe there was a, a, like a figurative gun held to her head, but the, but the truth was still coming out of her mouth. Yeah. So Harry, uh, like whether or not Peter called Harry or Harry called Peter, they do meet up to have, um, coffee and he reveals himself as the other guy says um, the hilarious line where the uh, um, the waitress comes over and says like how's the pie <laughs> and and he just like shit eating grin oh, so good I thought that was funny I kind of laughed out loud because it was like it was almost like uh, he for half a second he just like reverted back into happy go lucky Harry but he's like people, yeah <laughs> he's like this pie is awesome he's smiling and he's just having coffee and pie. Like it's just another day that ends in Y. as, as good as that part is, it's immediately followed by what is my favorite, probably one of my favorite single moments in this entire movie, which is so Peter of course has gotten up and left because, uh, Harry, like, um, Harry approached him with like something emotionally heavy and Peter doesn't have the ability to handle that. And he doesn't say anything back. He just kind of goes like, 
like Harry just goes, I'm the other guy, you know, I mm-hmm. always loved her. And, and Peter just kind of makes like a, a Tobin Maguire face and just gets up and leaves. Um, but he's outside of the cafe and he turns, and he looks back. Um, Harry gives this hilarious oh, yeah. back and winks and this truck moves in front of the window. And then suddenly Harry's gone. Now here's the greatest thing ever about this scene. <laughs> There is an extra that's behind uh, Harry, and he's in there for this entire shot. So Peter turns, looks back at the cafe. Harry turns and winks at him, and then Peter goes to make a move, like almost like he's mad now, and he's like, "Well, now I can solve this with punches." And the and the truck moves in front, right? Mm-hmm. When the truck is gone, and Harry is missing. The extra that's behind Harry immediately turns really quickly and looks like a commotion has happened behind him. And so 100% what I fully believe in my soul happened, even in the context of this movie, is that he turned and he winked. And when that truck came between them, Harry just slid out of his chair and hid under the table on the floor. (laughs) just to have that dramatic moment. He and, just crawled away like yeah, Michael Scott yeah, or something. Like while like snickering to himself, like this is going to be so sick. And, uh, and that one extra behind him, like turned, I was like, Whoa, did that guy like fall on the floor? Like, what the hell is he doing? Like it's 100% there. But if I, <laughs> oh, I don't think I have a way to, to do a share screen on here or else I would show you, but it's, um, if you get the chance to later, please go back and check it out because that guy 100% turns and looks like who just fell out of their chair. <laughs> it's amazing. I'll have to look up to go back and check that. That's funny. 